Ready? Three, two, one. Excellent. Right. Okay. Hello. Welcome to episode 10 of Artist Impressions. This week, I'm joined by writer and director Nathaniel Brumabella and actor Jacob Baird, who recently starred in Nathaniel's digital production of The Arbitrator, which premiered last Saturday. Um, So welcome to the podcast. Congratulations on The Arbitrator. How are you both? Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm doing very well. I'm Very well indeed. Yes, congratulations on the premiere. Nathaniel, would you, um, just for listeners, would you like to outline a little bit of the plot of The Arbitrator? And then, Jacob, would you like to talk about your part? Absolutely, yes. So it is in the style of a few other films, like Searching, and I think they believe that some people call them desk toppers. It is a screen that you are, as the viewers are watching, as if you are watching a computer screen, it is completely a zoom. So it is set on a Zoom, it opens with a ding-dong, ends with a ding-dong. It's people coming in and out, trying to arbitrate, as you may have guessed, this on-campus conflict between two students at a private school, Stacy and Jolene, who have gotten into a fight, altercation, whatever they want to call it, and this in the style of God of Carnage, which is a fantastic play and film, they, the, their respective parents... Uh, are invited in by the school to discuss what happened and discuss who's to blame and so on and so forth. And yes, they bring in an outside arbitrator, hence the name, to figure out what happened. And various characters come in and various hidden backstories are revealed and various outsized personalities get involved. And yeah, it's silly comedy, but it is very fast-paced and I think, yeah, I think it's a good time. Excellent. And Jacob, you play Stacy's father. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Stacey's father, Brian Duvalier. Um, Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun playing him. Um, He's a sort of unrepentant bastard. um, And Nathaniel likes casting me in such roles. Um, I don't know what that has to say about me. But, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, He's... (laughs) uh, And he is sort of... It was um, a silly but fun part to play. And you did a good job. And what was it like to have it premiere on YouTube but to not really be able to gauge an audience's reaction, you know, normally, even if it was a film, it would be, you know, played in front of an audience and you could speak to them afterwards. So yeah, how did it feel sort of just sending it out into the world on its own? Well, it definitely, it was definitely different. And yeah, I've almost always, in terms of premieres, yeah, been in the room with an audience and physical actors where you can discuss and so on and so forth. But one of the biggest differences that I noticed on the night and in the days leading up to it, when I was finishing up the edit, was I watched it and rewatched it so many times and went through different all the different seconds, really, from minute one to minute 46. And so I knew exactly what was coming when, whereas with a live performance, live premiere, you don't know what's going to happen. Second to second, it's really, it can change. It can change. It's, uh, as we all know, <laughs> anything can maybe go wrong or maybe someone comes up with something new and it's actually really good. But either way, it will be something that you hadn't expected. An audience, each audience will see a different show or is this... I know exactly what they're going to see for every single scene, every single punchline. I know what the timings are going to be and so on and so forth. So that was actually quite nice. It was a big, big change. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. The strangest thing, actually, now that I think about it, was not being with the cast afterwards, not being able to you know, go backstage and say, great job. So we had a, we had a video call. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, that part was 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 a, was a big difference. But definitely the feeling that actually nothing's gonna go strangely; it's gonna go exactly how I've seen it forty times. That was that was that was different, but it was it was nice, and it was also nice how many people actually tuned in. That was that was great because obviously it's on YouTube right now. You can watch it whenever you want. But the premiere had a nice nice group, so that was that felt good. And Jacob, you're used to being on stage when you first perform something. This time you had to watch yourself. I imagine that was yeah a bit strange. And and like Nathaniel said, not being able to be with the, your cast members afterwards must have felt strange. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like obviously like that sort of like interplay between an audience and 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 an actor in live theater is really really important and I think essentially what makes theater so great and so fun to do. But I think actually when we were recording it, I found that like well for for me anyway, I was just sort of trying to spend my time making the other people laugh and sort of like I was almost using the, the other actors as an audience which is probably terrible but it was um That's why we had to do so many takes of... so many times <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it was a lot of a lot of fun uh for that reason and obviously like uh, you know we all the actors n- knew each other quite well and so it was a lot of fun sort of everyone just having having a laugh while while doing it, it was a lot of fun and I think that comes across in it that everyone's having fun while doing it um, but yeah, watching yourself back, I think, is always always a peculiar experience. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, it was it it, it it it. I think because it was streamed live and you could sort of see how many people were watching it, there was a certain sort of still drama to it. Yeah. It was fun. It, yeah. And Nathaniel, do you want to talk a bit about where your idea for the um, script came from? <laughs> so it came from really this jolt in mid January where I was like, I want to just do stuff, and then it just sort of hit me that because I've been going zooms basically twice a week for a year you know what i mean just different 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 things i feel like i've spent so much time on zoom i really felt very familiar i mean like millions of us are now with the little tiny details of zoom that can be very funny and the way that i mean one of the small things about it is that it, when you interrupt someone it cuts them off i always find that very funny that if you, it's it's in real life that happens, but in Zoom it makes it a literal digital fact that someone's audio is muted if you speak louder than them, and all those type of things. And I thought it was really ripe for that sort of passionate argument type thing, and and not being in actual proximity to someone just also means you have a little bit less politeness, you have a little bit less sense of. I don't know, camaraderie or whatever. So I think people can be a lot ruder and a lot more distant and say some hard stuff and, and, and be a lot more unfiltered. So I, so that was something where I thought this could be a great venue and something that you could actually make beginning to end, even while completely separated. So yeah. And then the actual idea for it does come from my old high school where I did have a lot of wonderful memories and overall I, I like it, but they actually have done something recently that is, for the most part, a good thing. I just find it amusing that they've brought in a lot of outside people for 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 good reason, you know, for genuine soul searching, if you will. But I just find that an interesting idea, and I love that. I just love the idea of it being brought down to the specific level that they bring in a legal analyst for <laughs> for a fight between two people, and also a ton of it is inspired by one of my favorite films ever. I should prefer the film to the play. Um, the film's called Carnage, and I've watched it four times in the last couple of months. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's, it's, it's great, and it's just two sets of parents arguing over their kids' fight. So it is very similar, but I tried to update it to 2021, to Zoom, and to just a bit more of the politics and 
sociology we were familiar with. And and a bit more Iannucci-style cruelty. There's a lot more <laughs> barbed comments in this than there is in the Carnage. Nathaniel, how did you feel when um, when the sort of Jackie Weaver um, episode appeared with the, the council? Because it's sort of... I, I'm aware that the arbitrator was yeah. written before that all came out, but it very much possesses exactly the same energy in terms of just a lot of people getting very, very worked up over a Zoom call. That's a very good question because I did feel like, oh no, are people going to think we ripped this off? <laughs> yeah, that one was that was a blow. That, that and also like it 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 was. I guess I would say that the thing that protected me from being too worried about about that one was that ours is a completely different context, and those those people's insults were almost. They were funny because they were so real and so mean and so diminutive. I thought ours were maybe a little bit more fanciful. And I was like, okay, maybe people can appre- almost appreciate it more because it's fiction. If it's real, it's a little disturbing. Um, <laughs> but yes, that, that, that definitely yeah, went through my head. It also meant you had even more of a zeitgeist to put it into, which is always helpful for you. True. Also, let me quickly say, they recorded theirs on speaker view. And that's not great. Mm. That's not great for storytelling. I, I mean, one of my favorite things just watching it and watching it was just the way that people your eye flicks between the six mm. or seven or eight grids all the time and you can see who's responding to who and and it's the ultimate sort of acting is reacting stage because you literally your reactions are recorded in real time nathaniel i'm interested in did the fact that you were writing for zoom change the way you approached the script um and then also um jacob did the fact that you were acting for zoom change the way you approached the script as well Ooh, that's a really good question. I think yes, based on what actually what we were what I was just saying. Because with a play, you're when I write anyway, you're very aware of who's where when. So if one character is mm-hmm. sitting down, if one character is leaning on something, if one character is in another one's face, that will affect who responds with me. Like I like mm-hmm. having I like having the audience's eyes dart from dart back and forth. And if it's just two people who are at the front of the stage talking to each other, that's not very interesting. And you kind of want need to bounce it to somewhere else. Whereas if the like because it was on Zoom, I knew that everyone was kind of in the same place all the time. So while I didn't know exactly where they would be placed, it was a bit more even. Uh, so the bouncing around could really just be to anyone at any time, which was which was cool. I still was conscious. I think you'll notice almost very few characters just speak to each other at one point. Someone's always interjecting. So yeah, it, it did affect it a little bit. Yeah, and also just the fact that yeah, everyone was recorded, so there would be a chance for everyone to respond. And I didn't put it, I didn't put it in the stage directions very much. But when we were filming it, when I was directing, I was very much like everyone be be conscious that you're conscious that your face is visible, and everything that refers to you, you should have a visible reaction to. And I think everyone did such a good job with that. Like I really, 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 genuinely recommend. If you just watch it again, watching who's not speaking, and everyone does a fantastic job of registering. I just got to mention Dami's face when Stacy's mom is played for the parents is maybe my favorite <laughs> thing in the entire world. <laughs> I suppose it's the first time, unless you've rehearsed in a room with a mirror, it's the first time you've like had to watch yourself act and I, I imagine that completely changes the way you approach that was a really strange thing about it of sort of seeing yourself in the corner of like just watching yourself and i was never sure who i like you know you always 
automatically, I think, sort of end up looking at yourself a little bit. And so I sort of, but I also felt that Verne Valley probably would be looking at himself also. So I felt it was, it was well within character. Um, but yeah, it is strange that you're sort of doing it and you're looking directly in your own eyes as you do it. But I don't know. I mean, I guess to, in, it, in some way you might fear that that would make it look a sort of, you, you might seem a little self-conscious, but I don't know. I think it, 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 it all seemed to, to work. It, it, it didn't bother me too much. And also you sort of become numb to looking at your own face, I think, after you look at it for long You enough. looked at it for lots of um, time, yeah. haven't you? And I've looked at it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've worked together previously, and I'm interested, yes. this, this is probably the most overtly comic piece you've done. All, all of, all of the, the pieces you write, Nathaniel, are comic in some elements, but the, I suppose this is the first time it's been sort of an o- overt comedy with perhaps slightly slightly fewer sort of maybe political undertones, although, you know, it's, it's an intelligent piece. I'm wondering, can you talk about your choice to combine sort of comedy with other, other elements in previous plays? And then did you approach this production differently as, as a more sort of overt piece of comedy? Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, no, it's a good question. It's funny, I hadn't really thought about that, but I suppose you're right. I definitely didn't think of myself as a funny writer, for a long time. Yeah, nor do I. And then I realized that like, and I'm still not, um, (laughs) I've never done anything even remotely amusing. So, um, (laughs) but that's, yes, that's a good point. I don't mean, I don't mean I'm funny. I didn't think that I would write comedies until sort of my sort of the fast pace became quite inherently just comic because everything Mm -hmm. I write is fast pace. I think it's really boring when it's play is like, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, much better. I would say, yes, this one, I didn't set out intending to have it just be a comedy. I think, as you well know, Laura, I've, I'm always, whenever I get a, a spare moment, watching something by Armando Iannucci. And that mm-hmm. style of extremely fast-paced, extremely mean, extremely sharp-tongued back and forth was really what I was inspired by. And it was right in the middle of rewatching Veep and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to make something that, yeah, had that rhythm to it and had that really... Uh, barb-tongued tone. Yeah, I think the comedy of it did come from, you know, like I said, Zoom being, having, you know, a rich potential for being really funny and really sort of cruelly funny and having these dynamics that in real life maybe, you know, people would would, would, would have enough wherewithal to, to, to tone it down, having those completely absent and having to be able to shout at each other and so on and so forth. And yeah, I just, I just, I just found that hilarious. And again, a lot of it is, and I also, I mean, I'm sure you knew I was going to say this, but parts of it are not meant to be taken seriously, but they are referring to things that I genuinely think are big problems. Mm. And so my point, I mean, slight spoiler, but the questions of vaccinations gets in there and the questions yeah. of who is, who's privy to sort of information about their own safety and all these type of things. And these are the things that I think are really important. And also, you know, the fact that Mikey Z's character is obviously a very old man ha- has the has the vaccine already, and all these there's all these little things, and and what type of person values other people's well being, and what type of person doesn't, and I think that 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 is in there, and I think that is something I feel is a very serious point, mm, mm. but I'm not trying to make a serious thing. I'm trying to just really make something uh, really watchable. I think yeah. I think we I really don't want to see a, a number of pandemic set things that are deadly serious because has this year been anything but deadly serious? Can we come up with something that has a more has more levity to it, but is still set in this world? So that was the idea. Yeah. 
Um, hmm. I want to ask a question about like, Jacob, you've read and played other characters that Nathaniel's written. Do, is, is there a sort of, I suppose I'm asking about working with the same director a lot of times and does that sort of change anything? Yeah. Well, Nathaniel loves to typecast me as a morsel, <laughs> um, which I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Well, I but, think um, it's not true. I'll take it, it as... As, as a loud mouth dorsal. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's uh, the truth of it. But um, I don't know. We've done... Obviously, the last piece we worked on was a tragedy. Um, Tobe. <laughs> uh, which is... An epic, I would say. A year old now. So for those people... An epic, a tragedy, um, certainly nothing comic about it. There, uh, if, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, about a year ago, Nathaniel and I collaborated on a deeply moving piece called um, Tobe. And I encourage you, where where can someone find that, Nathaniel? Is it still on oh, YouTube? YouTube. In fact, just, just below Arbitrator, you can just click on my Yeah, so I would, if you want to get an insight into the sort of work that Nathaniel and I have collaborated on before, I would certainly recommend looking at that because that is, I would say, upsetting, uh, passionate, and somehow erotic um, is how I would describe Tobe. Really as artistic as a piece of film can possibly be. I think so. I think so. Um, And then before that, yeah, I mean, we've done, what have we, we've done, well, we also had a radio show, uh, Lure de la Bande, de la Zach, Brun, Bande, Ur. Um, That's so, what I thought you were talking about, so Laura, today, I assume. Basically, <laughs> what you would get if you looked at Nathaniel and I's past repertoire of work is that we find ourselves deeply funny, but are in fact anything <laughs> but. Um, and, and so I yeah. guess, you know what, the arbitrator was maybe a refreshing break from that, because, you know, I think there were there are moments of genuine, you know, laugh out loud uh, funniness in the arbitrator, which certainly our work in the past has 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 never never had anything like that um so i'm glad to see that nathaniel's moving up uh in the world with his ability <laughs> um this is a slightly indulgent question on my part i'm interested because obviously you had to film it from your home you had to um do your own costume and you, you normally you'd have someone often me telling you what you had to wear on stage i'm wondering did you enjoy having to pick out your costume did it help you get into character yeah tell me about your costume oh i I, about an hour beforehand i was like oh crap we're filming this and so so i was like dad dad do you have a turtleneck and i got a turtleneck and i think a turtleneck was very fitting and then aunt had very kindly knitted me a scarf and my 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 partner in crime had got me had knitted me a scarf um and uh she sent it to me uh the day prior and so if you look at that that's a very finely home knitted scarf um and i think combined the turtleneck scarf combo is uh, a classic and one that i'm bringing into my actual life um yeah i don't know i liked it i liked it a lot i liked the power that it Mm -hmm. evoked within me Nice. I'm glad. I'm glad you got the scarf in there. That's nice. Nice for Ant to see her work. I wanted to note on the costume front. A lot of people were really, really great. Either just figuring it out, or if they didn't, they just. I, I sent a lot of people like a sort of couple words, and they were really good at. So for instance, Kalechi, I said, "Stylishly sensible or sensibly stylish." That type of person. She was like, "Got it." You know. <laughs> and and then with like for Angus, for instance, I was like, "You know, you kind of know, owns a dojo." obsessed with self-defense and he was like oh i know exactly who that is <laughs> i didn't even have to finish a sentence he's like oh yeah oh no, okay i got it and he nailed it so people yeah 
people will be all around with it. Um, Nathaniel, this is a question that follows on from that, I think. In the past, you sort of said you're not that interested in the design of a stage. You sort of happy with a blank set and that sort of thing. Maybe substance Uh. over style. (laughs) But... It shows. But... Your work is often very stylized or stylish. It's often a period piece. It's got um, music. You, you've got sort of quite a consistent style in the way you market your work. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that balance. You know, what do you start with? Because because really, whilst you say you're not that interested in the visuals of a piece, actually, it's quite consistent, and you do you're actually quite particular about it. So I'm in. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, balance. Oh, I'm not, I'm not interested in other uh-huh. people's visuals. No, no. No, um, <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. I am very interested in visuals. Hugely. No, that's, that, that's, a, that's a huge, huge, huge part of it. I'm not... I think what you're referring to is how I don't go gaga for sets very much. I don't... You know what it is? You know what it is? It's not that I don't... I appreciate a good set very, very, very much. The thing that I find in the way I watch theater and all sorts of things is that you can tell when they put more effort into the set right. than the writing, and I can't stand that. <laughs> I just think a lot of people, a lot of a lot of different, you know, amateur or professional, it happens a lot. There's times when they've put millions or or whatever they put a, a, a lot into the, mm. into how it looks and and what up to date blah 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 they've done. And I, 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 it, if it doesn't do anything for the story, for the writing, for the performances, for the narrative, it just it actually feels like it takes mm-hmm. something away from it personally no but i i love visuals i mean costumes are a huge thing for me it's just that sometimes the less is more i think so for instance like when we did technicolor jacob i love the fact that almost everyone has an extremely minimal costume now i think that's really stylish but it was just a white shirt and a black tie or, or a white shirt you know so you know like, like but the me, set like, of technicolor was the best thing about it and that is <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> it was a couple stools, a couple chairs, and a small table. That's it, you know? In the and back of in the background, there was a broken elevator because we were filming in Free Fringe. So we were in a bar, and in the background, there was a broken elevator that about every eight to ten minutes would go... <laughs> <laughs> Some days. Some days, very little elevator noise. <laughs> and that was the best thing of all. But yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're right. You're right, Laura. I sometimes miss the fact that I am <laughs> as obsessed with the visuals as people are sometimes criticized. But no, I, 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 it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate them. In fact, I appreciate them more than most um, other aspects. I just think basically less is more. And it's got to be stylish, yes. not just stylized. Boom. And the other thing, would you like to talk a little bit about the importance of music in everything you write? Because most things do seem to be sort of centred on a piece of music yeah, or a style. Literally everything. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I think I talk the most about my film stuff, but just, just close behind it is how much music I listen. To. I, mean, I, listen I literally listen to music pretty much morning till night, as you know. Uh, so, and 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 I I never realized that that that, that was that other people don't do that <laughs> until I started started talking about it. And yeah, I. I constantly have something on in the background and i have i constantly have something on while i write so there's a lot of plays that have the tone of whatever i happen to be listening to at the time um you can you know other people wouldn't notice it but i, I definitely am like oh yeah i know this is when i was really into 60s rock and roll this is when i was you know clearly into the 70s blah 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 and yeah the, it also just is something that it's kind of it's a big reference point for me so I don't know where it came from, but I think I just said while I was writing the arbitrator, because I wrote it all pretty much in one go. St- one of the characters was like, "Oh, it's called Stacy," and then as it went, I was like, 
Stacy, Stacy's mom. I was putting a joke about that. And then just like just like happens diegetically in the thing, it occurred to me when it occurs to Julie Langham. Ah, oh, there's, there's a joke to be made here. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, music is always, always, always a part of it. It's a it can be an issue with licensing. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be that'll be a thing. But my one of my favorite things in the world is the public domain. So I find quite a lot of things that are on there that are still really brilliant um, that I can use. So yeah, I mean, I music is is huge. You'll never you'll never catch me writing something that doesn't have anything to do with music. Let's talk a bit more broadly now. I've got a question for both of you, and I wrote this question when mm-hmm. um, when I thought we were going to be joined by our Austrian friend Michael, who's also in the cast. Um, but I think the Northern Irish perspective is also very welcome here. I'm interested in, Nathaniel, I know you talk a lot about how different American theatre is from British theatre. And I'm wondering, for both of you really, is there a difference between the the theatre you grew up with and the theatre you're making now for the audiences you have? Yeah, and how how do you navigate that? Do you cater differently to different audiences? Jacob, I know you're you're writing about Northern Irish theatre at the moment, so, um, yeah. Yeah, well, no, I think I've always, uh, I, I can't claim to be any sort of expert on, on Northern Irish theatre, so I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But um, uh, I think something that I've always found really fun about working with Nathaniel is that we oftentimes, I think, like, you know, the English love subtlety and sort of, you know, and, and I think we, when working together, love throwing subtlety to the wind mm-hmm. and uh, just making big, fun, loud performances. And maybe that's the, the American in I don't know um yeah I that I've always really enjoyed that about working um with with Nathaniel yeah I think he's right it's very fun to work with me um no but no he's he's definitely Jacob is Jacob I think that is true and I think sociologically (laughs) there there is you know like you say it's probably for the experts to discuss not us but yeah I think the (laughs) Jacob's background and my background do line up in terms of yeah, throwing subtleties to the wind. Also, I mean, you know, my obviously have a very international background. My dad's very English, so um, I grew up with a lot of British comedy, and I almost had to teach myself American comedy. Um, well, well, you know, definitely I got some. I got SNL and Mel Brooks growing up, pretty much. But then everything beyond that, I kind of had to go and find myself. And then I got a ton of of, of, of British influence. But yes, combine those, and you get this sort of hell, cruel, <laughs> cruel punchlines of English comedy with the lack of subtlety of America. So I I just try to offend and, and belittle as many people as possible. Um, but no, I also just think comedy is the best way of just absolutely destroying artifices. Mm. Even ones that probably shouldn't be destroyed, even ones that should probably be set in place for the cohesion of society, but just poking the bear as much as possible. And yeah, I, I just, I really enjoy that. And I think, yeah, Jacob and I get along because we like that almost confrontational <laughs> lack of comfort in it. And also, like, if you listen to our radio show, which is which is now streaming on Mixcloud, uh, <laughs> we are the, also the types who will just keep keep going and not go, oh, sorry, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Even when it's clearly it's that, not funny. <laughs> exactly. But it's that thing of, if you keep doing it, about... 250% later than when you should have stopped, it becomes funny again. So, <laughs> and that's never failed. <laughs> so, yeah, the other thing is you don't have to be obsessed with what other people think of your work. In fact, that often is what makes it not very good. So if you really try to get through it, try to get through it, <laughs> if you just get to the end, 
without apologizing for it, it usually ends up relatively funny. I will now, give Jacob a prize. Said, probably everything we've done isn't that funny. No, but... <laughs> I would give a cash prize to anybody years. who can sit through all of Lord of the and Zach from Bond. We've got a three-hour Christmas special. <laughs> See if you can do that. <laughs> and and work out if 250% in, it becomes in any way funny. <laughs> As in, it should have ended after one minute, so about five minutes in. <laughs> um, nice, good answer. Um, let's talk a bit, sort of, through the past into the future. In 2019, you had great success with Chagos 1971, which you wrote at the Edinburgh Fringe. And Jacob, I know you were involved in sort of the early stages of that production. Nathaniel, I know you did have 2020 Fringe plans, which obviously... Uh, didn't happen I'm wondering are those plans to be revived have you sort of pivoted a bit during the pandemic or are you not really sure yet where where can we see mm-hmm. black bat productions going in, in the future <laughs> really really good question I think I having sort of had a, a little bit of work in the actual theater world a little bit and a little more discussion with people who are in it and more plans to go into mm. it for realsies I think it I was extremely lucky. And one of the reasons I came to Edinburgh in the first place was something like the Bedlam and, and the theater groups, the theater communities that we have, actually mean that there are a ton of people who are really, really good. Yeah. And then also people like Jacob. But, you know, you have these, uh, you have these groups that, you know, if you, if you, if you pull out a ca- put out a casting call for a fringe show, you're going to get really, actually genuinely talented people yeah. who are... Still at the level where, you know, they can do a fun, crazy fringe show. That, of course, obviously the talent is still there, but then, of course, it gets harder and harder to get people to do shows that are a little smaller, mm. a little scrappier, with a little bit less experience behind them. So it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do something on the scale of... Because Chekhov had, had, you know, tons of casts, and I would happily do something like that again. In fact, I, it's in my mind. I was trying to write... I was going to write a follow-up mm-hmm. called Chekhov's 2020. Obviously wouldn't make any sense to call it Chicos 2020 anymore. <laughs> um, and we'll see, because that story is ongoing. Um, it's, strangely, though, it's so ongoing, it's, it's, it's still so relevant that I almost wonder if actually it might be more beneficial to do 71 again, sort of refresh, um, and, and maybe add a few more details, and maybe, um, maybe even make it a little longer, so you actually get more into the history, so people really understand it, because it is, seer- everyone, you know, look yeah. it up. The, the Chicos archipelago, what's going on there, Diego Garcia is... Getting, you know, to be a, a... Britain is literally a rogue state of the United Nations because of it. And it's a remarkable lack of coverage of that. Um, but I definitely think having more minimal plays. Um, more minimal in the sense of smaller casts, leaner narratives. But, yeah, almost a more professional uh, tone to them. Because a lot of a lot of people, you know, at, at my stage, you know, that's what they do. Is that, you know, they put together something that is small, but hopefully pretty good and pretty watchable. And, yeah, so I've written quite a few scripts or well <laughs> written quite a few script ideas and written a couple of them that are three people you know and and still have the thematic weight and hopefully still have some comedy to them but three people maybe a little music minimal set but it still has some 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 rhythm so so that's probably where i'm i'm going in the future but we will see things change by the day they do and and jacob um do you want to keep acting where do you feel all of this creativity taking you uh, to, to, the, to the unemployment office. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm focusing just the moment on getting my degree done. I've got like a month left of this mm-hmm. and I'm keeping my cards close to my chest on what's coming next. Ooh. 
because I think uh, the 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 Northern Irish man in me is waiting for the gods to smite me down if I were to put anything out to the universe that would raise me above my pedestal, my lowly position on the floor. So, uh, yeah, uh, I literally just looked out the window and saw a man's ass. Um, <laughs> what the? <laughs> what on earth was that? Good lord! Okay, I'm gonna turn around. Good heavens! <laughs> Well, if that's a metaphor for what comes next, I hope not. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, God, wow, how did that happen? That's never happened before. Good Lord. Um, yeah. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Shall we move on to uh, some of the questions that I ask all of my guests? Um, and I've sent these to you earlier. Um, these are, yeah, questions for both of you. The first question is, can you tell me about an artist who's made a big impression on you and your work. I am going to take Mikey Z's time and say uh, <laughs> I had four people. Um, okay. <laughs> but I'll go through them quick. Uh, I already mentioned Ar- Armando Iannucci, big time. Because there were some there I was like, oh, you know, someone, you know, Obama or something. And I was like, okay, that's that's a little, that's a bit of a stretch. Of the <laughs> yeah, artist thing. My so answer is Obama. <laughs> Obama, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no. <laughs> um, Amadi Yonichi, 100%. I've already talked a lot about why that is. <laughs> Honestly, actually, I'll get to the pretentious one at the end. Jean-Pierre Melville, which is somehow not the pretentious one, uh, that would be, yeah, he's, genuinely that is a huge... Watching his films took me from being like, oh, I don't really know how much I'm into film, to, oh, okay, this <laughs> is something that I really, 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 really love. And, yeah, a lot of how I write and how I make stuff and what I like to make and what I like to watch is in that movie. So, is in Le Samurai, but also his whole taste. Yeah. So, him, big time. Okay, Jake, you'll appreciate this. Eric Andre, and I'm not joking. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Has, seriously, there's one, I will not go on about this, but there is one article that made a fantastic point about how there are very few... Uh, black comedians who do some who do who act like him because the so, sort of old s- sort of concept of showing your ass of being mockable and of being silly and of being stupid has taken s- centuries well decades if not centuries for sort of black men but black people to 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 embrace or rather embrace publicly you know what i mean or, or even make that your entire persona <laughs> Because that is Eric Andre, just complete agent of chaos and mayhem. And I really love it. And when I found that show, his his whole um, approach just g- did genuinely inspire me. So the, the feeling of just, like we were saying, Jacob, throwing caution to the absolute wind and not caring if it is completely out of bounds... Not in terms of offense, just in terms of like how, like how, how are you allowed? Well, he, to, he brought a knife bear his into his studio, didn't he? That's <laughs> yeah. a good yeah. example. He interviews a bear. He 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 interviews fire. He, he sets the chair on fire and interviews fire. He you know he goes around. He he pretends to be a mailman on the subway and and jokes with everyone about how he takes people's money out of their mail. You know he he he, he all this type of stuff. He, he pretends to have anyway. I'm not going to sum up his entire show. So Eric Andre. Genuinely a big inspiration. And then lastly, the pretentious one is um, Rene Magritte, the painter. I think he, his paintings had a similar effect on me in that they just are what they are. They're just, it almost defeats the point to try to look for some deep, deep, deep meaning. They're just strange and they are really elegant, but very silly and very 
in their own lane. And 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 Laura, we discussed this before, but I find a lot of art a lot less meaningful than other people do. But I won't die. I'm not going to die on that hill. It just doesn't really okay. appeal to me it's as okay. much. Except Magritte. So I've always found, and it, you, everyone who's seen my laptop knows that I have a little sticker that has the Son of Man outline where the apple of the MacBook is the face from, is the apple from the painting, which I am very, very proud of. Um, so yeah, those those four are my, my Mount Rushmore. Brilliant. And Jacob, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. In terms of, uh, uh, I think in terms of like, uh, if I were to look at a, a, a playwright, who I think in, in terms of something that has like genuinely properly shocked and surprised me, it would have to be... Um, pretty obvious i guess um but sarah kane and like blasted i remember reading that and being absolutely like baffled by what can be shown or be done um in theater and i think the same reason why like uh, david ireland is a playwright who has always like played the same and obviously those are people who throw sort of caution to the wind and just show you what they um like terribly not that not that violence is this great thing in theater but i think it's always it's interesting and um uh, I think just in terms of, of, yeah, no subtlety, but like experiential, it's mm. interesting. Um, yeah. Nice. My next question for both of you is what impression would you like your work to make on the world? Jacob, you go first. Um, I don't know if, if my impression has, if my work has any impression on the world, God help the world because I'm a deeply unfunny man. So, um, yeah, I don't know. If uh, I, I, I would be of the view that, like, no sort of... I don't have any sort of, like, uh, grandiose preconceptions regarding sort of art, but I think if it's a means to, like, offer people some a sort of, in any way, an escape, I think that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And if that can help people just sort of get out of their heads for, you know, half an hour, an hour, I would always happily play a part in that. And I think that's why I enjoy doing it myself, just mm-hmm. because it's a fun escape from from the reality of the world <laughs> i'm laughing not because i disagree jacob but because my answer is literally the opposite in every way um and it's not <laughs> that i don't think yours is right it's just not how i look at it i i yeah i feel like it's completely the opposite actually and i don't believe this in a particularly militant way i just if you if asked the question like we have i think it's all about to me what i what i like to do and like to experience is actually destroying artifice <laughs> and dis- and dismantling it and overcoming it in a way, dropping it. Um, not always, but like I said, you know, and even some artifice is very useful. I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't have these, these layers to us, these camouflage, it's extremely valuable and extremely important in many different contexts. But what I like to do in my work is try to, show when or not show but try to explore when what they're really doing so i think almost almost everything i've written involves a character switching gears when someone else enters a room or deciding to change something about them or or, or lie about something to please someone else or please the social order or something like that and again that's not condemning everyone who does that not at all i do that but it's just showing it's just trying to see all these different sides of these this sort of this sort of prismatic forms of behavior and yeah, and sometimes saying that that is kind of BS. And some of these, some of these artifices are just vestiges of terrible societal trends. I mean, Jacob's character in Technicolor was you know outrageously sexist and so on and so forth. And you know, watching it back, it's like maybe a little heavy-handed, but it was the type of thing of like, there's people who are you know 
you know, obviously it's, 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 it's disgusting, but it would be wrong to pretend like people weren't like that and, and pretend like that isn't something that should be pointed out directly, you know, and, and characters in, in, in Chagos who were, in Chagos 1971, who were like outwardly racist and outwardly white supremacists, but did it in a sort of casual way. And I sort of, I liked putting that outrageous, unacceptable behavior in a very casual tone to show how some people... A lot of people believe those things, but the people who actually don't have the artifice are letting you letting you recognize that, that so many people have it. And I don't know. <laughs> so in a way, it's it's showing people their, their reality or a reality that it would be wrong to ignore. So Jacob, you are completely wrong. It's about yeah. not letting people. All escape. right, okay, goodbye. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> it's 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 not about. It's not even necessarily condemning them. It's at least defining the artifices. So that's, that's, I think, the impression I like to make. But again, it's not that I'm making it. I just like to contribute to that mm-hmm. discourse. Uh, the next question I ask my guests is, is there a piece of art of any medium that you would like sort of everyone or most people to have encountered, whether that's to make the world a better place or help people understand something um, that, yeah, that is perhaps universally worth engaging with? Something along those lines. Um, that would be Chagos ninety one, the arbitrator, Technicolor, Tobe, only Tobe, Tobe. Uh, if there was only one what? piece of art that was to be seen by anyone, I probably Lord, Lord should be Oh gosh, sure. I think I'd go a bit um, mad. Tobe, <laughs> I, was I would like to think that that when the last vestiges of Western civilization are in rubble, that Tobe will be the one remaining thing, and that archaeologists in in a thousand years will mm. dig up the remnants of Tobe. Mm-hmm. and play it on whatever device they do and be blown away that people were capable of creating such art. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jacob answered for me. Brilliant, that's a wonderful answer. Let's move on. Great. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have anything else to add? <laughs> I did have a real answer to this. Yeah, you can... Other than Jacob's 1971, the arbitrator, technically. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to answer because... Just picking one is really hard because you know it's all about the you know, diversity of, of different different pieces. I think one that I w- that I think the central point is something that everybody should hear was uh, was White the play White, which I put on. It's a genuinely very very good play. I did not write it. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah by James Iams. Everyone, it's hard to, it's hard to find. So I actually recommend people seek it out. But that is one where I just the way that it is very very open. Again, dropping artifices and actively dismantling artifices about. The way white men, black women, Asian men, white women, and others interact with each other, and what is often left out of even very progressive conversations. I think that one is an ingenious piece of work, just for being so blunt about it. So, and 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 has many layers and is very entertaining to read and watch. So, White by James Iams would be a thing I genuinely wish people would encounter. Excellent, brilliant answer. The last question I ask people is just simply, do you have recommendations for listeners of things you've been enjoying recently, whether that's a book or a film or a play or a course or a podcast or anything, just just to sort of share the recommendations. Although we've had plenty of good ones today already. I wanted to buck the trend because I wrote down a bunch of films and I was like, I always talk about films. I was going to say Vanishing Point. I was going to say Odds Against Tomorrow, which are both great. But I want to say books, mm-hmm. actually. I really enjoyed this book that is come that has uh, just come out at the end of last year. It's on a lot of bestsellers. It's called Blacktop Wasteland. Mm-hmm. Rarely, that and Don Winslow's The Force are the last books that I read that are over 500 pages that I just blasted through. Because normally, 
over 500 pages means I'm not even going to buy it, let alone read it. So, um, but this, these, those two really, uh, so yeah, Blacktop Wasteland especially is this brilliant thing. And, it, and, and there's an old joke that car chases and action sequences are terrible in books. And then, yeah, how can it, why would anyone even try? And that is thoroughly disproven <laughs> by this one. It's a real page turner. And, 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 and objectively, it's just very well written, very interesting. But it's also got some resonance because it's set in the sort of Black South by S.A. Cosby. And it's the it's this uh, guy who's, who's who you'd find in a lot of neo-noirs and stuff, but usually played by a white guy. Um, and yeah, he's just, it's just, again, a very blunt, very um, direct story where, yeah, he, he, he's, he's, he, he thinks he's out of the life, but he's got to go back into it one more time just to sort of get the last blah, blah, blah. But it's really very well done. It's set in uh, Virginia, and there's a lot of places where, even though it's not the exact street that I know, it's streets that I'm very familiar with and, and kind of horse country type thing. So I'm, I've driven through them, and yes, I can imagine some of the nefarious behavior that happens in the book was happening behind that uh, auto repair store. So yeah, it's, it's a really, really great book. Exceptional page turner. Blacktop Wasteland. Hugely recommend. Nice. Yeah, I think of all the things um, I've been reading recently, I've, I've just finished writing an essay on it, actually, um, is Sam Selvin's 1956 novel, The Lonely Londoners. Um, it's a novel that's impacted me more than most in, in, in recent times. Um, it's about the sort of uh, experience of uh, the Windrush generation when they came to um, to England in the 50s. And I think it's especially, it's like this wonderful narrative voice that's sort of like creolized and, and sort of Calypso-infused. Um, and it, I think, especially pertinent today, given that I to read that a commission has decided that Britain is not institutionally racist today. Yeah, that was quite a headline. Yeah, and you read the experiences of these people, what, you know, six decades ago, um, and, yeah, the suggestion that society has moved forward that much, I think, is, is a joke. Um, yeah, really, really worth reading. Um, it's of all the things I've read recently, yeah. Brilliant, excellent recommendations, both of you. Um, you know what? I forgot. I should have said this at the beginning. I get my guests to name their episodes... And normally I warn my guests at the beginning of the episode, but um, because of the slight technical difficulties we had, I forgot. So, can do either of you have on the tip of your tongue an idea t- to name this episode, or would you like to have a think about it and get back to me? Um, two geniuses. Let's two. Let's let's just say words after each other, okay? So you how about, go how first. About, how about the, the from the from the creators of Tove? <laughs> <laughs> No, you say a word, I'll say a word, okay. you say a word, I'll say a word, you say a word. Okay, go. Mm-hmm. Definitive. Biggest. Project. Of. The. Man. I can't hear anything you're saying, Jacob. Speak up. Project. Man. I think he's saying pen. Man. 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 It's a definitive project of the men who. Love. To. Love. Love to. Party. 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 Sing party. Yeah. Party. There we go. Cool. We'll call it From the Makers of Tope. Okay. Alternatively, and then that'll be the title. <laughs> Wonderful. That went well. Um, <laughs> is there anything you wish I'd asked you? Anything I, you feel like I've... Well, I'd love people to actually watch it. Yes, yes. Where can, where can it be found? Where can more information about your work be found? Go on YouTube. Go on, well, I guess Bremer Beller, actually. And then uh, Arbitrate will be the first one there. I think it is actually mm. quite funny. I mean, my parents liked it. And my. And is it available via your website? Yes. 
Black Bat Productions. Yes, Google that and you'll find it. Or go to our Instagram at Black Bat UK or our Twitter. I think I think Jacob, you know, is obviously the weakest link, but most of the cast is really funny. <laughs> oh no, genuinely, I, and 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 no no no, Jacob is fantastic. Everyone is fantastic, and 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 you know, I think all of us who've been in production occasionally have to be like, okay, yeah, that was good, that was good, that was good. Maybe this could have been that, and I I don't think I could be happier with that. I mean, the acting is. Yeah. One of the ideas for this was that a lot of us are, 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 a lot of these actors are really talented people who probably had nothing to do. Many people, I'm sure, have found something to do, but acting wise, I'm guessing we've been a little, things have been feeling a little dry recently, so this is the thing I was like, I wanted to get together 11 people who are really, really, really excellent, and thankfully they gave me their time, so I want to thank them all, including Jacob. <laughs> well, Nathaniel Brumabella, Jacob Baird. Thank you for being on episode 10 of Artist's Impressions. It's been really great to talk to you. Thank you very much for having us. This has been delightful. Thank you for having us. Bye!